Chapter Five of the Suffragette: The History of the Women's Militant Suffrage Movement by E. Sylvia Pankhurst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Five, May to August, nineteen hundred six. Deputations to Mister Asquith at Cavendish Square, women arrested and imprisoned, the by-elections at Cockermouth, adoption of the anti-government policy as sir henry campbell bannerman had told the deputation that he could not do anything for us because some members of his cabinet were opposed to woman's suffrage we determined to bring a special pressure to bear upon the hostile ministers the most notorious of whom was mr asquith the chancellor of the exchequer strangely enough just as we had decided upon this course of action we were virtually advised to adopt it by no less a person than mr lloyd george at that time president of the board of trade when interrupted by suffragettes in liverpool mr george claimed the sympathy of the audience on the ground that he himself was a believer in votes for women and said why do they not go for their enemies why do they not go for their greatest enemy at once there was a cry of asquith asquith from all parts of the hall and as mr lloyd george made no attempt to repudiate the suggestion that he had referred to mr asquith it was very generally assumed that he had done so an opportunity to go for mr asquith soon presented itself on the occasion of his speaking at northampton on june fourteenth a few days before the meeting teresa billington and annie kenny visited the town and in a series of open-air meetings took the people of the place entirely into their confidence with the result that mr asquith was welcomed not by cheering but by hooting crowds during the meeting at the end of his speech mr asquith was questioned by several women all of whom were ejected with the greatest violence while the audience broke into the now familiar turmoil the cowardly and unnecessary brutality shown to them by the stewards at recent liberal meetings had by this time aroused great indignation amongst the women theresa billington who was of strong and vigorous physique and whose instinct like that of every man was to strike back if she were hit had come to feel that she could no longer quietly endure the disgraceful treatment to which she had been subjected on several occasions to this meeting therefore she had gone armed with a dog-whip the weapon she felt most suitable to employ against cowardly men her intention was not to use it if she were merely dragged out of the meeting just as a man might have been but only if her assailants should seek to take advantage of the fact that she was a woman and should behave in a peculiarly objectionable way note seven therefore when the stewards had torn down her hair and treated her with every form of indignity and violence not merely in dragging her from the hall but outside in the corridors as well she had pulled out her whip and made a fairly free use of it the general trend of events now made us feel the necessity of securing a personal interview with mr asquith and we therefore wrote asking him to receive us he replied that his rule was not to receive any deputation unconnected with his office of chancellor of the exchequer and we then wrote as follows to the right honourable h h asquith chancellor of the exchequer sir i am instructed by my committee to say that the subject of the enfranchisement of women which they desire to lay before you is intimately bound with the duties of your office upon no member of the cabinet have women greater claims than upon the chancellor of the exchequer your budget is estimated on a system of taxation which includes women women not being exempt from taxation have a right to claim from you a hearing women are told that you are mainly responsible for the refusal of the prime minister to deal with their claim but being convinced of the justice of giving votes to women they renew their request that you receive a deputation on an early date in order that their case may be presented to you faithfully yours 
he sylvia pankhurst honorary secretary of the london committee of the women's social and political union forty five park walk chelsea s w mr asquith returned no answer to this our second letter and therefore without making any further attempt to obtain his consent we wrote to him saying that a small deputation would call at his house number twenty cavendish square on the morning of tuesday june nineteenth on the appointed day the women arrived just before ten o'clock in the morning but early as it was they were told that mr asquith had already gone to the treasury they thereupon decided that half their number should wait on the doorstep and that the other half should go to look for him those who went to the treasury were told that mr asquith had not arrived and those who remained on guard at his house were equally unsuccessful for whilst they had been standing there waiting the chancellor of the exchequer had escaped through the back door in a closed motor-car our determination to meet mr asquith face to face was still strong and after our failure to see him on the tuesday we at once wrote to say that we were sending a larger deputation to interview him in two days time we had now three flourishing branches of the union in london one in the centre and two in the east end and some thirty or forty representatives partly drawn from these branches and partly from our central committee formed the deputation carrying little white votes for women flags and headed by theresa billington some thirty of the east end members marched off in procession for mr asquith's house but on arriving at the edge of cavendish square they were met by a strong force of police who told them that they must at once turn back the poor woman stood still in a fright but would not turn then the police fell upon them and began to strike and push them and to snatch their flags away theresa billington tried in vain to prevent this violence we will go forward she cried you shall not hit our women like that but a policeman struck her in the face with his fist and another pinioned her arms then she was seized by the throat and forced against the railings until as was described by an onlooker she became blue in the face she struggled as hard as she could to free herself but was dragged away to the police station with the east end workers following in her train immediately afterwards annie kenny with a number of others most of whom were members of our committee came into the square annie knew nothing of what had taken place and preoccupied and intent on her mission she walked quickly across the road but as she mounted the steps of mr asquith's house and stretched out her hand to ring his bell a policeman seized her roughly by the arm and she found herself under arrest following this mrs knight one of the east end workers who because she suffered from hip disease had felt that she could not walk in the procession came into the square and crossed the road on seeing none of the other women she concluded that they had already gone into mr asquith's house she intended to join them but just as she was about to step on to the pavement opposite number twenty she was roughly pushed off the curbstone by a policeman and arrested as soon as she attempted to take another step forward mrs sparborough a respectable elderly woman dressed with scrupulous neatness in worn black garments who by the work of her needle supported herself and her aged husband stood watching this scene in deep distress noticing that two maid-servants and some ladies at the window of mr asquith's house were laughing and clapping their hands she turned to them protesting gravely oh don't do that oh don't do that it is a serious matter that is how these soldiers were sent to featherstone note eight a policeman immediately pounced upon her and dragged her away 
at the police court afterwards teresa billington on being charged with an assault upon the police refused either to give evidence or to call witnesses in her defence saying that she objected to being tried by a court composed entirely of men and under laws in the framing of which men alone had been consulted her plea was abruptly swept aside and she was ordered to pay a fine of ten pounds or in default to go to prison for two months note nine miss billington chose imprisonment but her resolution was balked by an anonymous reader of the daily mirror who handed the amount of her fine to the governor of holloway jail note ten the charges of disorderly conduct against the other three women were adjourned until july fourteenth every charge against the prisoners except that of being in cavendish square with the object of seeing mr asquith broke down but mr paul taylor the magistrate who seemed quite incapable even of trying to understand their motives decided that they had created an obstruction and ordered them to enter into their own recognizances in the sum of fifty pounds and to find one surety for the same amount to be of good behaviour and to keep the peace for twelve months in the event of their not finding such sureties and consenting to be so bound over he ordered that they should be sent to prison for six weeks to agree to be bound over to keep the peace would have been both an admission of wrong-doing and a promise to refrain from similar methods of agitation rather than this annie canny preferred to suffer a second imprisonment and the other women though they had but recently joined the union and though many friends urged that they had already done good work and might now fairly return to their homes decided that they too would go to jail in the meantime there were stirring doings in manchester on june twenty third there had been a great liberal demonstration at the zoological gardens bellevue on the outskirts of the town where mr lloyd george mr john burns and mr churchill had been the principal speakers representatives of the women's social and political union had been present to question the cabinet minister and had been thrown out as soon as they had raised their voices in the scuffle mr morrissey a liverpool city councillor intervened to protect his wife from the violence of the stewards and was very roughly used as the suffragettes were flung by the stewards into the public road outside they were ordered to move on by the police and because mr morrissey whose leg had been seriously injured by his assailants was unable to walk away he was arrested seeing this my youngest sister adela then scarcely out of her teens and only about five feet in height expostulated with one of the constables and in doing so laid her hand upon his arm saying surely you can see that mr morrissey cannot walk but at that she was accused of attempting to effect a rescue and was also taken into custody the councillor's wife and a friend who both offered similar protests were treated in the same way the case of these four people came up in manchester simultaneously with that of annie kenny and her comrades in london with the result that adela was committed to prison for a week on refusing to pay a fine of five shillings and costs whilst mrs morrissey and mrs mitchell on refusing to be bound over to keep the peace were imprisoned for three days note eleven of course this punishment was for daring to urge an unwelcome question upon members of the government but as this was not a punishable act the charges of disorderly conduct outside in the road had been trumped up the question of these trials was raised in the house of commons by mr keir hardy who declared that it was stretching the law too far to forbid a deputation to approach a private house he also pointed out that mr james kendall one of the magistrates who had tried the case of the manchester suffragettes and had been chief steward at the liberal meeting from which they had been ejected mr cramer and mr madison both delivered vindictive speeches against the suffragettes the former describing the sentence passed upon them as extremely lenient and the latter referring to them as female hooligans 
the more sensational and less reputable of the newspapers adopted a similar line speaking of the women as kenny knight and sparborough calling them mock martyrs and martyrettes and publishing hideous and libellous drawings of them even the stater and more serious periodicals gave one-sided and biased accounts of what had taken place rebuking the suffragettes for what they termed their disgraceful behaviour telling them that they were ruining their cause and urging them to save it by returning to constitutional and orderly methods of propaganda the following interesting and valuable letter to the press from mr t d benson the treasurer of the independent labour party cleverly exposed the hypocrisy of these strictures dear sir having had through illness plenty of time on my hands this last week i have made a calculation of the number of years which the lady suffragettes have put back their movement i find that it amounts to somewhat about two hundred thirty-five years the realization therefore of their aim is according to this mode of chronology as far off in the future as the plague and the fire of london are in the past nevertheless i shall not be surprised if they succeed within the next twelve months or two or three years at the most of course when men wanted the franchise they did not behave in the unruly manner of our feminine friends they were perfectly constitutional in their agitation in bristol i find they only burnt the mansion-house the custom-house the bishop's palace the excise office three prisons four toll-houses and forty-two private dwellings and warehouses and all in a perfectly constitutional and respectable manner numerous constitutional fires took place in the neighbourhoods of bedford cambridge canterbury and devizes four men were respectably hanged at bristol and three in nottingham the bishop of lichfield was nearly killed and the archbishop of canterbury was insulted spat upon and with great difficulty rescued from amongst the yells and execrations of a violent and angry mob the suffragists in those days had a constitutional weakness for bishops and a savage vandalism towards cathedrals and bishops palaces a general strike was proposed and secret arming and drilling commenced in most of the great chartist centres wales broke out even into active rebellion and nine men were condemned to death at london bradford york sheffield liverpool chester taunton durham and many other towns long sentences of penal servitude were passed in this way the mail set a splendid example of constitutional methods in agitating for the franchise i think we are well qualified to advise the suffragettes to follow our example to be respectful and peaceful in their methods like we were and then they will have our sympathy and support yours truly t d benson the downs prestwich july third nineteen hundred six the day after the trial mrs pethick lawrence received from annie kenny a little note hastily scribbled in pencil and posted by some kind-hearted person just as she was being taken away from the police court cell i am writing this it read before going in the van i am very happy and i shall keep up and be brave and true and when i come out i shall be fully prepared to do anything the union asks of me as yet most of us knew little of the interior of a prison but on those burning july days we knew enough to think with sorrow and anxiety of our comrades shut away from the beauty of the summer in the heat of their small stifling cells we heard with joy that they were happy and contented to suffer imprisonment for the woman's cause and now it seemed to us as though the spirit of revolt against oppression were flowing onward and spreading like some great tide to all the womanhood of the world we read of that wonderful marie spiradonova 
the russian girl who after enduring the most incredible and unspeakable torture and dying in the agony of her wounds was yet upborne by the greatness of the cause for which she suffered and cried with her last breath mother i die of joy the movements towards liberty then springing up amongst the women of the far east also inspired us we read of the words of one of the korean women leaders who said the women of our country are the most pitiable of all civilized humanity they are enclosed like prisoners bottled up like fish but we must remember that after the cock crows the dawn comes and after work there is reward should we but put forth together our feeble efforts a way will be found of accomplishing our object and women will gradually be able to stand in the shining light of the sun and to breathe the sweet heavenly air freely and happily news of the women's cry for freedom came to us from north south east and west and we felt ourselves part of a universal movement we were keyed up to any sacrifice we felt that the fate of other women depended upon us we knew that our battle to overcome the first and greatest barrier to obtain political liberty was to be a sharp one we hoped it would be short we heard that on june fourteenth but a month before our women had gone to prison the women of finland had gained their vote we believed then that the franchise would be won for british women within a few months time very soon after annie kenny mrs knight and mrs sparborough had gone to prison another opportunity occurred for our union to strike a blow at the government for it was announced that there was to be a by-election this time at cockermouth christabel was at first the only member of the union free to take part in the election she at once introduced an entirely new departure in electioneering tactics by hiring a stall in the market-place where she sold votes for women literature when by this means she had collected a sufficient crowd around her she mounted a stool and addressed the people explaining to the electors that she wished them to vote against the liberal candidate in order to show the government that they did not approve of its refusal to give votes to women after a time other women joined her and the little band of suffragettes made a considerable impression upon the people of cockermouth who had heard of the imprisonments in london and manchester and who were deeply moved by learning that women were prepared thus to fight and to suffer for their cause when on august third the poll was declared it was found that the liberals had lost the seat which had long been held for them by sir wilfrid lawson and that sir john randalls the unionist candidate had been returned by a majority of six hundred and ninety the figures being sir john randalls unionist four thousand five hundred ninety three honourable f guest a liberal three thousand nine hundred three robert smiley labour one thousand four hundred thirty six the votes at the general election had been sir w lawson liberal five thousand four hundred thirty nine sir j randalls unionist four thousand seven hundred eighty four probably because the liberal nominee against whom she was working had been returned to parliament and also because she had been single-handed mrs drummond's campaign at eye had passed almost unnoticed outside the constituency itself at cockermouth on the other hand the liberal had been defeated and so it naturally followed that all the influences that had led to his defeat were carefully analysed by the politicians and the press some of the members of the women's social and political union had formerly been liberals and though the liberal leaders steadfastly declared that the action of women could make no possible difference to the situation they were very deeply incensed by the thought that women should dare to put the question of their own enfranchisement before every other consideration and instead of seeking to win the government's favour as they had done in the past should prefer attempting to force those in power to attend to their claims 
to a man the politicians were surprised who would have dreamt they said that women could be so selfish though their candidate mr robert smiley had not been attacked the labour men were also discontented for there were labour women in the women's social and political union and they considered that these particular women ought to have been working directly for the labour party and not to have been subordinating its interests to the getting of votes for themselves the conservatives meanwhile said very little about the matter for their candidate had won and having therefore no reason to be aggrieved they contented themselves with declaring that a glorious victory had been won for the cause of tariff reform so much for the politicians the party following press with scarcely an exception had been unanimous from the very first in their hostility to the woman's social and political union and its methods now as before they either shook their heads at us expressing sorrow and regret that we should place ourselves in opposition to the forces of progress or merely professed amusement that we should be so foolish and conceited as to think that anything that we could say or do would influence elections timid and half-hearted friends of the suffrage movement also condemned the new by-election policy on the ground that it was unwise for women to thus oppose the government that had the power if it wished to give them what they asked all this of course was to be expected and so was comparatively easy to meet it is what every true reformer has had to face but even amongst some of those who had been hitherto the warmest supporters of the suffragettes and all they had done there was much heart-searching and heart-burning because of the independent by-election policy and it was felt by these that a mistake was being made in thus holding aloof from men's party organizations and counting as not the opinions of private members of parliament the w s p u pointed out to them that a large majority of the private members in the house of commons had long been pledged to give their support to women's suffrage but that these pledges had been useless this was due in the first place to the fact that private members had little power to carry their pledges into effect because practically all the time at the disposal of parliament was taken up by the government and that as had been done on the twenty ninth of april a few obstructionists could easily block the question unless the party in power were prepared to find further time for it besides this private members had over and over again shown that they would willingly break the pledges they had made to women at the bidding of their party leaders but these explanations failed to reassure many faint-hearted doubters for though they agreed that in theory the independent policy was well enough they felt convinced that in practice it was doomed to fail they freely admitted that the women by their clever speeches and the undeniable justice of their cause would be almost certain to convince the electors that they were in the right but they urged that the british elector was a hard-headed individual who could never be induced to throw aside his party politics and to cast his vote on this one issue alone especially as this issue was a woman's question that did not directly affect him so these critics agreed that the policy would be possible with an electorate of heroes but not with average men for this reason it must fail but in spite of these gloomy predictions the women's social and political union held to its course and did not swerve one hair's breadth from the plan of campaign that it had laid down an anti-government election policy has frequently been employed by men politicians notably by the irish under parnell in the course of the agitation for the repeal of the contagious diseases acts mrs josephine butler and her colleagues fought the government at many by-elections but with that exception an anti-government by-election policy had never been adopted by women in following it out now when many members even of our own committee doubted its wisdom and few were really enthusiastic in its favour christabel pankhurst its originator in this case 
gave evidence of that keen political insight and that indomitable courage and determination which are so essential to real leadership and which have since enabled her to steer the suffragette ship through so many dangerous shoals and quicksands on august fourteenth the three suffragettes mr asquith's prisoners as they had been called were released from holloway they were all cheerfully and bravely uncomplaining mrs knight and annie kenny were both white and feeble-looking but only spoke of their anxiety to be of service to the cause whilst mrs sparborough though she had got rheumatism through being made to scrub the stone floor of her cell without a kneeler made light of the imprisonment saying that she had felt peaceful and happy and had sung hymns to herself to drive her loneliness away and now great meetings of welcome to the prisoners were being held in london and provincial campaigns were being organized in various parts of the country everywhere that the fiery torch of zeal and enthusiasm was carried there was warm sympathy from the masses of the people and the slumbering desire for enfranchisement amongst all classes of women began to awake mrs lawrence was holding a series of fine meetings in yorkshire annie kenny after addressing vast and enthusiastic crowds in lancashire made her way up to scotland and with theresa billington went on to mr asquith's constituency of east fife aroused by their speeches the woman here demanded that the chancellor of the exchequer should receive them in deputation he judged it wisest to consent but protected himself from meeting the two ex-prisoners by stipulating that only residents in that constituency should be present in his reply to this deputation he declared himself to be still an opponent of their cause then there is no hope for women asked one of them but he only answered women must work out their own salvation in wales the flag of the w s p u was being hoisted by mary gawthorpe note twelve another new recruit a winsome merry little creature with bright hair and laughing hazel eyes a face fresh and sweet as a flower the dainty ways of a little bird and having with all so shrewd a tongue and so sparkling a fund of repartee that she held dumb with astonished admiration vast crowds of big slow-thinking workmen and succeeded in winning to good-tempered appreciation the stubbornest opponents whilst she was in his constituency it was announced that mr samuel evans who had talked out the votes for women resolution on the twenty ninth of april and who was now appointed a law officer of the crown was coming to speak to his constituents miss gawthorpe determined to talk him out as he had talked out the women's resolution she therefore attended two of his meetings and at the first of these was dragged out by the stewards but at the second a strong force of men gathered round to protect her and insisted that she should be heard the chairman then tried to checkmate her by playing the welsh national anthem but little mary won all hearts by leading off the singing and so poor a figure did mr samuel evans cut that mrs evans was said to have declared that next time there was a woman's suffrage debate in the house of commons she should keep her husband at home in london the work was being organized by christabel who amongst other things was conducting an active campaign in battersea the constituency represented by mr john burns the president of the local government board the income of the union was still very small and everything had to be done with the strictest possible economy the money for meetings and halls was only forthcoming on very special occasions and wherever possible the expenses of printing and advertising were curtailed a large number of meetings were held at street corners with a chair borrowed from a neighbouring shop as a platform and in order to collect a crowd my sister started the custom of ringing a large muffin-bell 
one of those who had been greatly impressed by the work of our union was miss elizabeth robbins the novelist whose impressions of these early days of the movement are so graphically described in her novel the convert the following extract from this book is a very truthful picture of a typical battersea meeting in battersea you go into some modest little restaurant and you say will you lend me a chair this is a surprise for the restaurateur ernestine carries the chair into the road and plants it in front of the fire station usually there are two or three helpers sometimes ernestine if you please carries the meeting entirely on her own shoulders those same shoulders being about so wide yes she is quite a little thing if there are helpers she sends them up and down the street sowing a fresh crop of handbills when ernestine is ready to begin she stands on that chair in the open street and as if she were doing the most natural thing in the world she begins ringing that dinner-bell naturally people stop and stare and draw nearer ernestine tells me that battersea has got so used now to the ding-dong and to associating it with our meetings that as far off as they hear it the inhabitants say it's the suffragettes come along and from one street and another the people emerge laughing and running of course as soon as there is a little crowd that attracts some more and so the snowball grows last night she was wonderful when she wound up the motion is carried the meeting is over and climbed down off her perch the mob cheered and pressed round her so close that i had to give up trying to join her i extricated myself and crossed the street she is so little that unless she is on a chair she is swallowed up for a long time i could not see her i did not know whether she was taking the names and addresses of the people who wanted to join the union or whether she had slipped away and gone home till i saw practically the whole crowd moving off with her up the street i followed her for some distance on the off side she went calmly on her way a tiny figure in a long grey coat between two helpers a lancashire cotton spinner and the cockney working-woman and that immense tale of boys and men and a few women all following after quite quiet and well behaved just following because it didn't occur to them to do anything else in a way she was still exercising her hold over her meeting i saw presently there was one person in front of her a great big fellow who looked like a carter he was carrying home the chair oh if you could only see her trudging along apparently quite oblivious of her quaint following dinner-bell in one hand leather case piled high with leaflets on the other arm some of the leaflets sliding off and tumbling on to the pavement then dozens of hands helped her to recover her property footnotes seven out of all the many hundreds of women who have taken part in the militant suffrage movement and in spite of the many kinds of violence to which they have been subjected only three women upon three single occasions have ever made use of any weapon to protect themselves from their assailants note eight some years before a trades dispute had taken place at featherstone in the course of which mr asquith was said to have ordered that the military should be called out and as a result the soldiers had fired upon the workingmen who were on strike in consequence of this mr asquith became so unpopular that he was frequently assailed at public meetings by the cry of featherstone asquith the assassin mrs sparborough like many other persons had of course read of this note nine on a protest being raised in the house this sentence was afterwards reduced by half note ten 
in the case of christabel pankhurst and annie kenny the governor of strangeways had refused money tendered to him by outsiders saying that he was not authorized to accept a fine paid in this way but now the governor of holloway after consultation with the home office accepted the fine and told miss billington that she must leave the prison note eleven mr morrissey who could not afford to leave his business was regretfully obliged to pay his fine note twelve mary gawthorpe had become a pupil teacher at the age of thirteen and had worked for her living from that time amongst other distinctions she had taken a first-class king's scholarship she had represented the leeds labour church on the local labour representation committee she had been a member of the leeds committee for the feeding of school children and the leeds committee of the national union of teachers in nineteen hundred six she had been elected as labour delegate to the university extension committee she was vice-president of the Leeds Independent Labour Party and secretary to the Women's Labour League. End of chapter 5